encourage you to follow along this morning either on our app to take notes or in the bulletin. But we're here this morning because we believe. We believe in one God and Father, the creator and sustainer of all things. We believe in His indwelling Holy Spirit, our counselor, and the transformer of our hearts and our souls and our minds. We believe in the forgiveness of sins brought on through touching the blood of Jesus in baptism. It's forgiveness that, as Cody spoke of, lasts and sustains. And we believe in the communion of saints, a gathering together in the name of Jesus around this table and celebrating a unity that goes beyond all divides. We believe. We believe in an empty tomb. And we believe in Jesus. Amen. We believe in Him as the author and perfecter of our faith. We believe in Him as the Word made flesh. We believe in Him as the exact representation of God, as Hebrews 1, chapter 3 says. We believe in Him as our Savior and as our Lord. We believe in Him as the provider of our salvation. We believe. We believe in Jesus, not just as a conductor on a train to heaven, but we believe in Him as the Savior and the giver of grace, but as the leader and example of how to live. We believe when He says He is the way, the truth, and the life. And because we believe, we follow. And because we follow, we listen. And because we listen, we obey. So when we come to the Sermon on the Mount, we don't see it as sage advice or elite spiritual teaching for spiritual masters and giants. We see it as it is. We listen, we learn, we follow, we obey. The Sermon on the Mount is difficult. It is inside out. It's upside down. But we believe this morning that it is the very words of life. It's Jesus' words in which He shows us the way, the truth, and the life. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' vision and expectation of the Christian life. May it be ours as well. Let's go inside out in chapter 6 of the Gospel of Matthew this morning. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we proclaim these things in belief. But Lord, we also know that belief is more than just information. And belief is more than just mental nodding of our head. It is lifestyle. And so Father, we pray that you teach us today obedience, discipleship, followership, and teach us how to live this inside out, transformative, Counterculture way of Jesus. Lord, we haven't prayed for another church in town in a while, but today we lift up because you ask us to pray for unity among believers. We lift up our friends at the Methodist Church. May your will be done there as you do your work here as well. Lord, we love you and we pray, Father, today that you will work deeply in our hearts. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Matthew chapter 6, 1 through 18, a long passage today. 
But please, focus in and hear these words from the New Living Translation. Jesus says, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others. For you will lose the reward, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do it as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth. They've received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private. And your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth. That is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating words again and again. Don't be like them. For your Father knows exactly what you need before you ask Him. Pray like this. Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive those who sin against you, your Heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. And when you fast, don't make it obvious, as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth. That is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. Then no one will notice that you're fasting except your father. Who knows what you do in private? And your father who sees everything will reward you. The words of Jesus. Don't you feel it? I'm going to call it this morning that ache. It's that nagging feeling that we get in our minds and even in our gut that something somewhere is off. Maybe about the world or maybe about you. And you can figure this out. Are you bored a lot? Are you disillusioned? Are you disenchanted with the world as it is? Frustrated? Those moments of feeling that, feeling like there is just one more thing I need is the ache. It's that hole in our hearts and in our soul that as humans we try to fill with everything except for the one thing we actually need. It's the ache. Do you feel like your life has lost meaning? That your purpose has disappeared? Maybe some of you this morning say yes. Others no. Maybe most of us might say I'm not sure, Jake. So I want to ask you a few more deeper questions and please honestly assess yourself by just answering these privately. How much of your time do you fill with noise? 
See, we get away from the ache by filling our lives with small, intermittent amounts of dopamine. Filling our life with TV, social media, podcasts, radio, activities, just noise, trips, having to do something every weekend to fill our life. Question number two, would you be embarrassed this morning if we all had to shout out our average time on our social media last week? How many hours a day did you spend on your phone? Question three, do you suffer from the inability to simply sit quiet in a room alone or in a truck or a vehicle? Does God feel distant this morning? Do you feel that True life and true joy is only just one step away, but then when you make the step, it's always one step away. As humans, we all have this ache. And the reason we all have this ache is we all want to matter. We want our life to have meaning. We want to be noticed. We want to be seen. We want to live a life that makes a difference. We want our lives to do And to be about and to mean something. And this longing, Jesus here in Matthew 6, is exposing that that longing to be noticed and to get reward from people can even show up in our acts of righteousness or in our acts of worship. And Jesus highlights, as you know, three places. Giving that is announced with trumpets, praying that is to be seen by others, and then fasting or other acts of worship in order to look pious and religious. You can guarantee that what was then, so it is now, that ache in our human heart to matter can get sidetracked by what Jesus is speaking of. We want to matter so badly that we can get hijacked by a belief that we only matter if other people Notice what we do. And it does not matter what size of audience it is. We all like an audience. Whether that audience is calling your mom after a bad day and you have an audience of one, or whether it's the audience is the gossip group you have, or the audience is just your family, or the audience is your social media account. We all want an audience. Of course, that's why social media works so well today. It's because of this ache. Because we all want what we do to be announced with trumpets. We all want to be seen. We all want to be admired. So much so that it's crazy amounts of things are happening in the world. 2016, I read this this week. In 2016, the city of Mumbai, India, had to put together 16 different no-selfie zones after there was a number of deaths in the big city of Mumbai because people were taking dangerous selfies to get more likes on Instagram. By train stations where there was no warning, tall buildings leaning over the side, the city had to enact 16 selfie-free zones. And you may think, well, that's not here. In 2018 alone, the Washington Post reported that 250 people in the United States died while taking selfies. We are literally killing ourselves to get 
notice. It's a wild world we live in. But I want to tell you a secret that was obvious in the text that it's hard for me to get across in my own life. This hunger, the secret is this, the hunger and the ache exists not because we're inherently evil, but because we know somewhere deep in our souls that life really should matter. That life really does have meaning. That God has created a world and He's created humans in such a way that we can impact the world. But we often let it get hijacked by all the wrong things. Take for example how meaning is built into human DNA. In med students across the world, in medical schools across the world, and among med students, while they're taking gross anatomy, this is fascinating to me. And you guys know what gross anatomy is. It's the semester in which med students spend an entire semester working on a cadaver. Somebody who's related, or who has, who has not related. It's somebody who has donated, that's the word I was looking for, who has donated their body to science. And they dissect that body. 90% of those med students hold memorial services for the person who has passed. They don't know them. They don't know their name. It's just a cadaver. It's just a body. But 90% of med students across demographics, across the world, hold a memorial service for that person. Why? Because we know deep in our bones our lives are supposed to matter. We're supposed to find meaning. Or... This picture, another example. This is the Cathedral Grove in the Muir Woods north of San Francisco. It's a picture my family and I got to be a part of a few years ago. The Cathedral Grove, if you've ever been there, you start to walk into it, and it's this, it's this grove surrounded by a walking path, and it's interesting when you get there. Because everybody all of a sudden, as they were talking and yakking, gets real quiet. And this stillness takes over the redwood forest. And everybody knows there's meaning. <coughs> These trees somehow point to a greater truth that beauty is an indicator of a creator. We know that. We see these things. We see in med students and in forests and in the beauty around us that God has made a world that matters. Jesus here speaking about acts of righteousness is challenging us there. He's saying you know you should matter. So the challenge is where are you going to find meaning from? So I want to ask that question this morning. Where are you finding your purpose from? Because we can get a reward from people. But Jesus says, that reward from people, that's all you're going to get. In other words, what he's saying is it's going to be short-lived. But you've got to ask yourself, am I getting my reward from God? Or am I getting it from others? And this question matters. Because Jesus here, what he's positing, what he's saying is he saying, when you start to value the right things, you'll understand that what is done in secret matters so much more than what happens in public. And we believe this. And I want to believe this. 
Because He is the way, the truth, and the life. And Matthew 6, His teaching is not something that is theoretical. It's very hands-on. What He's asking is, and I want you guys to ask yourself this, where are you finding meaning? From God or from others? And where would you put yourself? If this was your arrow this morning, a little self-reflection, where would you be on this sliding scale? Where would you be? Would you be somebody who's leaning this way? Yes, God, I'm, I'm valued only by you and that's all that matters. Or do you find yourself slowly heading over here? Because that's what Jesus is trying to expose. The tough inside-out teaching here is that Matthew 6 is this hands-on way. He's trying to show us practical ways for us to say, oh, I want to go to the source to find meaning. Not a life devoid of meaning, but to go to the source of meaning so that I can live a life full of meaning and purpose. And I want to share with you three ways that Jesus does that this morning. First, the first way He does this when He talks about giving is He says, you need to value intimacy over publicity. Now this is a truth that's got to be caught more than it is taught. It's got to be discovered. You've got to lean into this. You've got to start to do disciplines that move you that way. But here's the truth. The more you develop intimacy with God, the less you will strive for approval from others. Man, I know that truth. And I stink at that truth. The more you develop intimacy with God, the less you will find yourself striving for approval from others. And then, what's magical about that is that as you develop that intimacy with God, the more you'll discover that your life does matter. Because He is the God who knows you. From the words of Psalm 139, the psalmist says, You know when I sit and when I rise. Right? You perceive my thoughts from afar. If I go and make my bed on the far side of the sea, you're there. If I go to the heights of heaven, you are there. He even says, you discern every word that is on my tongue before I ever speak it. What is revealed here, and I think what Jesus is leaning into, is when he's talking about generosity and giving, and not letting your left hand know what your right hand is doing, is you give because you are moving in the intimacy with God. Jesus' teaching about generosity here is generosity comes from valuing that intimacy over what well, I'm supposed to give so you can be seen for publicity. See, Jesus is telling us you give not to be seen, but you give because out of that intimacy with God, you realize you've already received far more than you ever imagined. And that's what you Second teaching he gets into that goes down to the bottom, verses uh, 16 through 18 of this passage, is that he's telling us be God defined over people approved. He says this in verse 16. Listen to this about the fasting and the hypocrites. He says, And when you fast, don't make it obvious, as the hypocrites do. For they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. See, when our lives begin to slide this way and we start to find meaning and value from people, 
than any element, Jesus says. Even elements of worship, any element of our life with God can be corrupted. Whether it's prayer, fasting, or giving, or singing, or anything else. What he's saying is, the fear of people, and the insatiable desire to get approval from people, is a massive barrier to spiritual growth. Because your reward is all you get is notice. And then when you're noticed, the next moment, you got to get noticed again. Living for the approval of others, church family, is a sure way to remain in perpetual spiritual imagery. Dallas Willard in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, says this. If you haven't read that book, read it. So good. He says, if we honestly compare the amount of time in church that we spend thinking about what others think or might think about us with the amount of time we actually spend about thinking about what God is thinking about us, we might be shocked. Do I need to read that again? (laughs) If we honestly compare the amount of time in church we spent thinking about what others think, I can't raise my hand, they'll judge me. Can't cry. That'll show weakness. With the amount of time we spent thinking about what God is thinking, we would probably be shocked. Whatever our position in life, he goes on, he says, if our lives and work are to be about and for the kingdom of God, we must not have human approval as a primary aim. And then he closes this paragraph with this little sentence. He says, we must learn to lovingly allow people to think whatever they will about us. You like that? We must lovingly allow people to think whatever they will. If your meaning and measure of value comes from people, here's a freeing truth today. It was never meant to be that way. You are not people defined. We are God defined. You matter because God says so. It's exactly what Cody was getting into in 1 Timothy with Peter with Paul's words. He realized he had purpose because he found who God really was. As his intimacy with God increased, so did his understanding in who he was. You matter. And the proof is that God would send his son for you. And finally, as Jesus speaks about prayer, He tells us this. You are never alone in a lonely world. There's some irony in what Jesus is teaching about prayer. He says, go off and do this in private. Do it in a closet. Don't pray to be seen. Don't babble like the pagans do. But here in the middle of the teaching of this whole section is what we know as the Lord's Prayer. We know it, we learn it, we can recall it, but we still miss its point. Because in it, as Jesus says, here's how you should pray, privately, by yourself, the prayer starts with, Our Father. It's genius by Jesus. What he's saying is prayer, while done alone, is never a private endeavor. Never in the Lord's Prayer do we address God from our personal pronouns. I. Me. 
The prayer is plural. It announces and assumes connectivity. That when you pray, when you're alone, you are still praying with and for your family. We are part of something. And this is the one, well not the one, this is top three things I wish we could get as the American church. Our individualism has killed us. Because we think it's about me and God and we have blinders on to the thousands and millions that are sitting at the table. And Jesus is saying this great thing. You are part of a great family of God that transcends every boundary. National, ethnic, cultural, even generational boundaries. So when you pray, we pray. Give me an example. When somebody stands up here to pray, what what do you usually do? Well, we're supposed to be praying along with him. That is a we thing, right? An elder gets up and prays. Mario's going to get up and pray for us at the end of services today. When Mario prays for us at the end of services, we are praying. It's our Father. And what Jesus is saying, then in prayer, as you go to God, and as you're moving this direction and finding meaning and definition from God, there's this great truth. You're never alone. Because you are sharing in a relationship with those covered in the blood of Jesus. I want to close with a story about a guy named Sisyphus. Anybody in here know Sisyphus? You do. This is Sisyphus. According to Greek mythology, Sisyphus, great name. Any expecting parents out there will put in a word for Sisyphus. Right? It won't be as strange as some of the names out there. Here's our baby Sisyphus. You probably want to name him after I tell this story. Sisyphus. Sisyphus, according to Greek mythology, was the very first king of Corinth. Ancient Corinth. And he was conniving and he was evil and he was a trickster. And the gods got to their wits end, according to little g gods, got to their wits end with Sisyphus. Because he was always tricking to get his way and his power was becoming equal with the gods. Zeus, because of this guy being such a trickster, sentenced him to an eternity to live in chains in Hades. But Sisyphus, because he was so good at tricking, even tricked the Greek god of death, Thanatos, and got out of Hades and escaped and crossed the river Styx back into the land of living where he took his throne in Corinth again. But Sisyphus knew his time was short. He knew that the gods were going to come and get him again. So he came up with another plan to beat death. He told his wife to throw him off the tower of Corinth where he landed on his head and he died again. There on the river Styx, he tricked the gods again. He tricked them. And he returned once more to the land of the living by not crossing the river. This time, though, Making a long story short, Zeus would not be humiliated a third time. So Zeus removed him from power over Corinth, and for punishment, he gave Sisyphus something he could not escape. He tricked Sisyphus. He told Sisyphus if he could just roll a boulder to the top of a hill, he would find freedom. If he could just get the boulder up to the top, he would find meaning and purpose, and he could be returned to being the king of Corinth. 
But Sisyphus didn't tell the truth. So no matter how high he got that boulder, by the sun went down, the boulder would return by rolling over the top of him and return to the bottom of him. So Sisyphus spent eternity rolling a boulder up a mountain all day long for it to roll over him at the end of the day and for him to begin to roll the boulder again and again. A lot of us are going through life like Sisyphus. We're repeating the same actions over and over again, again and again, hoping that we'll find meaning, hoping that if we can just get one more thing done, one more task accomplished, one more gossip in about that person, one more word of discouragement, one more like, one more share, one more moment, we'll get different results. We're just pushing a boulder up a mountain. And Jesus here is telling us a great He's sharing with us that instead of pushing that boulder up again and again and again, the reward itself is enough. That Jesus is enough. Three times in the passage we read, Matthew 6, 1 through 18, what's he say? Do this for the praise of people and you'll get your reward. But do it for God and you will receive a reward. See, Jesus' teaching sums up to this. Instead of pushing a boulder up a mountain again and again, I want to take the words from Cody Carnes' popular Christian song, Let's Run to the Father again and again. See, the reward from God is God. The reward of Jesus is Jesus. So when our lives begin to move this direction and we start to say, oh, I want to define myself over here in small steps and sometimes in even great leaps, you find this picture. But as I run to the Father, there's only one thing that really matters in Jesus is going to say it next week. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things. All those things you want, all those things you ache for will be given to you. So run to the Father. Church family, if you need anything today, we are here for you. We run to the Father. See what happens when you change those habits. Some of you are stuck in habits. Some of you won't grow because you're mad at this church. How silly. Run to the Father. Some of you this morning won't grow because you believe that you're going to find hope in something out there. You won't. Run to the Father. Whatever you need this morning, the Father is here and He's available. Let's stand together and sing. Kneel at